action. Welcome to Torn Stubbs, the Trash Movie Podcast with me, Robert Gershenson, photographer and head of podcasts at Trash, which could be found at movetotrash.co.uk. And Joshua Winning, the greatest film critic you've never heard of. And we're going to the movies. November 2nd, 1963, and President John F. Kennedy is assassinated. The official investigation, known as the Warren Commission, concludes that Lee Harvey Oswald, played here by Gary Oldman, is the lone gunman and is wholly responsible for the crime. Cut forward three years, and New Orleans District Attorney Jim Garrison, played by Kevin Costner, begins an investigation into Kennedy's murder, alleging that local businessman Clay Shaw, played here by Tommy Lee Jones, participated in a conspiracy that involved members of the United States government to remove Kennedy from power. And so begins a dangerous journey of smoke and mirrors and obsessions. So this is Oliver Stone's 1991 masterpiece a lot of the times when you think of oliver stone you immediately think conspiracy even though he only ever did really one conspiracy film and this is it <laughs> he's yeah he's known for his kind of war films isn't he yes primarily it's like primarily it's like platoon and um, born the fourth of july and like this yeah this is kind of his this is still a war film essentially this is still about oliver stone's obsession with the vietnam war Oh, hello. Who's that? Is that Oliver Stone? That's Oliver Stone. Yeah. And he says, I love the Vietnam War. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's the point. He hates the Vietnam War. That's the whole point. He's like, you know, he, this film is kind of like another way for him to explore the effects, supposedly, of the Vietnam War on uh, the United States of America from the top down, essentially. But also on him. He served mm. in, in the military in Vietnam and, and he was part of the... I, can't, I don't think it was the Tet Offensive, but it was whatever came after the Tet Offensive when the Americans retaliated in this huge, huge way. Mm. Um, and there was only probably like 700 uh, American servicemen involved in this battle. And they had, I think, 2,500 on the other side. And he was one of the 700. I think mm. I'm getting this right. So he's obviously very affected on a very personal level with the Vietnam War. Yeah, and he, he said in interviews as well that, um, this is his quote, he says, the Kennedy murder was one of the signal events of the post-war generation, my generation. So this film kind of represents two huge parts of his life colliding. Mm-hmm. And the results are actually quite incendiary. Like, it, it's, it's like, this film is just crazy. <laughs> I didn't expect this kind, of, this kind of film from him, to be honest. What were you expecting? Well, that, I didn't know what to expect. Did you think it was a biopic about JFK? Because it's not about JFK, exactly, is it? Exactly, exactly. Like, it's called JFK, which is a, a fantastic title because um, it's both misleading because you're not entirely sure where he can go, but it's, but it's also kind of like JFK is... It, it keeps his spirit throughout the film yeah. because even though it's not necessarily about who he was as a person. Well, it's about the effects um, of his presidency. Yeah, exactly. You know, if someone else was making the film, the climax of the film would be the bullet in the head. Mm. In this film, the inciting incident is the fact that Kennedy was shot. So it begins yeah. with his death. Yeah, like 20 minutes in, you've had this this great long historical 
um, kind of document style. Previously spiel. on America. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Um, and so you've had that. You've had John F. Kennedy being shot. You've had Oswald being arrested and then shot himself. Mm-hmm. And that's 20 minutes in. At the 20 minute mark, I was I wrote down literally, where the fuck is this film going? <laughs> and I need a break. Yeah, I was like, what the <laughs> hell is... What? Okay, so now we're going to go back or we flash forward three years or what? And then 40 minutes in, I pulled my seat closer to the TV because I was like, I need to pay attention to this. Yeah. I don't know what the hell's going on. Did you find it difficult to... To keep up, did you feel you no. need an education or was everything there for you? No, it was all there for me. And luckily there were characters like Michael Rooker's, was he a detective or was he FBI or... He's part of the, the <clears throat> I think he was part of CIA, yeah. but not anymore. Now he works with Jim Garrison. Yeah, right. And there's, yeah. there's a moment where we've had all these facts flying in our faces and names and, and events and stuff. And he goes, I'm last pass. <laughs> and yeah. I'm like, Clearly I'm with they you. Knew the audience. He was for there for the audience. Yeah, he was. So they could reiterate and repeat. But the film very cleverly um, kind of plays with that. It, it it knows that it needs to kind of take you by the hand slightly, but it doesn't try to patronise you. So no. it's yeah. intelligent and accessible. And that's like a really difficult balance to strike, especially with something as complicated as this. Had you seen much Oliver Stone before? I'd seen Born on the 4th of July. I haven't seen Platoon, which I know is... Um, quite an intense film and it's quite angry right it's quite kind of this is vietnam how dare we kind of thing i've never seen platoon oh right okay well that, that's the impression it. i have of it um what else have i seen of his i feel like he's I've... kind of a massive blind spot i haven't seen natural born killers Nixon i have I, seen. I have seen natural born killers but i've seen it so long ago that i can't remember it yeah can't remember it but much in the way that you said he's a blind spot his his stuff seems to have just passed me by like, I've seen Natural Born Killers, but can't remember. Wall Street, love it. Oh, yeah. I, I think I've still got your DVD copy, actually. Wall Street is fantastic. Have you still got my DVD? I think so, yeah. You've had it for so long, I, I forgot know. I even owned it. <laughs> <laughs> um, Wall Street 2, Money Never Sleeps, is ah. dire. It's terrible. Oliver Stone sleeps, because he slept <laughs> all the way through that movie. World Trade Center was a yawn. Mm. What, a, what a snore fest. And Snowden just had zero bite. Oh, I haven't seen that either. That was his most recent. Yeah. So he's definitely past his peak of, mm. I'm angry. I'm, you know, I've got, you know, the, 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 the chutzpah. I've got the guts to, to make these big, big, like, statements through his films and have them impact. Mm. I remember at the time, and I was, I was young, I was eight when JFK came out. And you must have been eight at the same time. That people lost their shit over this film because suddenly the whole conspiracy thing was back in the public consciousness. It'd been almost 30 years since the assassination. And for someone to come along and make a film that has such a impact, not just culturally, but politically, yeah. was was amazing to see. It is fascinating because it, it very, because it is set that much kind of longer after the actual assassination. Mm-hmm. But it, it kind of... Um, it it says what is this saying about America now, doesn't it? It it contemporizes it, and it it's exploring something an historical event. But then, literally, Kevin Costner looks at the camera in his closing speech, and he looks at us and says, mm-hmm. "It's your responsibility to change this." Um, so it's, it's it's Oliver Stone saying, "What has changed? Has anything changed? And if it hasn't, then what are you going to do about it?" Well, that's you make a very good point there. That hindsight is really important with a film like this. When he made Snowden, it was so soon after the whole uh, 
reveal who Snowden was. And even to some people, they don't know who he is. Mm. He's such a mystery to them. And he's still exiled in Russia. So that story is still going on. So for them to make a, a biopic, a fictional biopic, you know, a, a, as a non-documentary, but based on fact, um, it's such a bizarre thing because you can't come to any proper conclusions. I think Zero Dark Thirty had the same issue and we spoke about mm. that. It was so soon after the fact too soon too soon that you can't have any hindsight with it yeah so maybe that's why world trade center just felt like a real bore fest because they weren't making any points mm. even you 1993 doesn't really make much sense it doesn't really much it doesn't make a point about the the atrocities it's just this one isolated moment just showing it to us again exactly kind of yeah you know also the fifth estate the Julian Assange. Yeah, with Benedict Cumberbatch. With, with Bareback Cumberbatch. He, <laughs> it just makes no, no points. It's just, it's almost like saying, here's a couple of dots. It's like the prequels. Here's a couple of dots. Let's connect them up because people have read about these in the paper. Let's try and do something wacky with how we represent the internet online, on, yeah. on the screen. Yeah. But it didn't make a point. And if you're making a political film that, about something that is relevant now... Mm try and make a point it's always best to wait and then make the point because hindsight is always going to make your film that much better yeah and it's even more i mean this this film feels like it just gets more and more relevant as we go along yes like this there's the quote towards the end where um donald sutherland he plays x he calls himself x this kind of deep throat style deep throat yeah that's the deep throat deep throat that's like a blowjob thing. No, my God. <laughs> the whole Watergate scandal, there was this like source called Deep Throat. That's really? what he called himself. Oh, my God. Or herself, I don't know. Um, but so he says um, that Kennedy was dangerous to the establishment, according to, you know, whoever may have supposedly put in place. Yeah, this he wanted to end the Vietnam War and they wanted to continue because it was good for the economy. It was good for business. Yeah. And there's, there's also, um, there's another quote about um, the truth. And um, something about lies and the truth. And, and Oh, it's if the government murders truth. So the garrison says this at one point. And that's just even more relevant today with Trump and his fake news. Oh, absolutely. And all that stuff. It's insanely relevant. And Oliver Stone, obviously, is a hugely political person. He yeah. has talked about Donald Trump and how we're like, he says that we're sleepwalking toward a nuclear nightmare and that Trump's presidency is a disaster in inverted commas and all this stuff. I don't know how I feel about any of it because it's just so interesting and we will never know the answers to any of it surely because it's... we won't know until we've got another 20 years yeah. until the the documents it's 10 years isn't it is it 10 years it's 2029 is it 2029 um so we won't know well the documents won't be released until then but even then parts of it can still be redacted yeah for on the basis of national security national, national security. security um but this film the opening montage reminded me of News on the March from Citizen Kane. Mm. But with this, this is a studio picture. And the kind of frenetic editing and almost film school experimental-esque vibe that was being given off in that opening however long was wonderful to see. And I was trying to think, is there anything nowadays coming out of the studios that matches that kind of skill and that kind of style and there isn't i'm trying to think there's something i saw recently that had really fantastic editing that was 
I mean, I mean, Wolf of Wall Street that had that was quite frenetic and and got a lot of information across very elegantly and kind of minimalistically. But it still felt like a studio picture. This yeah. the opening here didn't it? It felt like an independent movie That's that true. just happened to be released by whichever studio released this. Yeah, he got in um, Robert Richardson, who's a commercials director, I think, who because uh, Oliver Stone wanted to break up this kind of prestige style that you would get with, a, you know, this is a prestige drama essentially. Yeah. And he really wanted to like fight against that and do his own thing. He wanted flashbacks within flashbacks. He wanted, you know, grainy news footage intercut with replicated footage, reproductions. Um, and it gives it this kind of real kind of hammer blow kind of feel to it where you're just like assaulted with images and ideas constantly. It's relentless from the get-go. It's intoxicating. Yes, yeah. it doesn't like ease you in. Yeah. It's literally... Bang! With America is fucked up <laughs> in the sixties. Yeah, like yeah. crazy fucked up. Bay of Pigs. It gives Cold you all War. of that. Yeah, and it does feel like the end of the world. <laughs> yeah. Crazy. I remember there was a. I think it was Gerard Way said this when he was asked about why he chose the Kennedy assassination for the basis of the second series of Umbrella Academy. Hmm. Do you remember the Umbrella Academy yeah, comic it. book? Yeah, it's really The second good. series is called Dallas, and it's all about the assassination, or based around the assassination. They go back in time and whatnot. And I think he said, the reason America is so obsessed with the Kennedy dynasty is that we don't have our own royal family. They are our royal family. Yeah, absolutely. So I don't think that sort of obsession is going going to go away. Even this week, there were some articles about... Arnold Schwarzenegger's son, uh-huh. Patrick. Yeah. And they always stipulate in the articles that he is the great grand nephew of John F. Kennedy. Who is? Well, Arnold Schwarzenegger married a Kennedy and oh. had a child called Patrick. Of course. So the one who left him after he fucked the nanny. Yeah. She's a Kennedy. Oh. So they always make a point of saying they are a Kennedy. Yeah. It is like the the most powerful and famous um, family in modern American history, arguably all of American history. Yeah, but they the the fact that they that um, John and his brother Robert were both assassinated. Barbie. It just it just um, and Dr. King and right. Malcolm X. So all these martyrs, all these people who have been who have been turned into martyrs, all by within a couple of years of each anti-establishment, other. I guess, or yeah. whoever it was who who actually killed these people. But it piles on the romanticized yeah conspiracy yeah and it makes you want it to be true yeah that's what this film does it does it very well because it i think some of the best stories the best documentaries are ones that say this is the story you think you know but actually this is something else that you didn't know yeah and then you start to go how did i not know this can this actually be true and if it is what does it mean and by the time um, Kevin Costner's garrison at the end is telling us his version of events, we absolutely kind of accept his his version as the truth. Do you accept it as the truth? I don't know. I don't know. It is very convincing. Um, I read I read up on it a bit after watching the film, and um, a lot of it has been debunked and criticised and called inflammatory and nonsense. Yeah. Um, but. Part of you kind of wants to believe it a little bit. I don't know. You can't possibly believe the magic bullet theory, can you? Right, the, the bullet one, enters, 
yeah, the back yeah. of Kennedy's neck out through the front. Yeah, does a right turn. Yeah, goes uh, in the back of the guy in front, turns in the body and and um, sort of exits. Ricochets. Yeah, exits through his chest. Then turns, yeah, has no scratch goes on it. through <laughs> through his wrist. Yeah, turns again and embeds in his leg. Seven wounds, one bullet. Yeah, something. Something definitely happened. It's like someone's not telling the truth. It wouldn't be the first time yeah. that a, a government has lied to yeah. people. Oh, absolutely. And it wouldn't be the first time that a establishment has, you know, killed the king yeah. in order to move power to someone else for what they want. Oh, yeah. It's it very was... biblical. It's very Shakespearean. Oh, yeah. It was very clever how he kind of referenced um, Caesar and yeah. other great leaders who've been murdered by their people. Yeah. You just wouldn't expect it. Maybe that's what they were counting on. You wouldn't expect it to happen in the 20th century. This doesn't happen in our yeah. times. This doesn't happen in modern times. Yeah. It still happens now. So what do you, do you believe what Garrison has concluded? I, I can't imagine that a bullet would turn in midair. Pause for, a sec, for one and a half seconds and then continue. <laughs> I watched a video where they were saying that the guy who was sat in front of Kennedy wasn't positioned in the way that Garrison said. So they said that he was positioned six inches further into the car and then three inches lower. Hmm. So with with that positioning, the magic bullet theory does make sense. Right. Because then everyone's at the right angle. Okay. But then again, that's only one video yeah. telling me that and I'm not a pathologist or whatever there are. I'm not a, I'm not a bullet Physicist. doctor. Yeah. <laughs> but... I'm, I don't think it's a stretch to think that a government would kill its leader to do what it wants to do. Yeah, because we've seen when... that throughout history. We saw that a lot, even at the same time in Russia. In the 70s and 80s, the Russian leader would constantly be changed out. Mm. Constantly. They might not be killing them, but, you know, governments do, you know, certain governments will do certain things to to uh, sort of keep hold of power and um, lie to their people. Yeah. So there's no reason why the American government didn't do that. And the perfect um, cover is complete non-belief by people. The greatest trick the devil ever pulled was convincing people that he didn't exist. So the greatest trick maybe that the US government did was convince people that we don't do this. Coup yeah. de tans, is that what it is? Coup de tans, <laughs> we don't do coup de tans. I love that with the, salad, please. <laughs> the quote that this film, that you know, the JFK version of that quote yeah. is the when Garrison says, "The bigger the lie, the more, more people will believe it." Yeah, um, absolutely. Yeah, but look at Brexit. Yeah, how many lies? I mean, there's so many lies now. You don't know which is the truth. If Theresa May was to come out tomorrow and tell us exactly what is going on, tell us the complete truth, we wouldn't believe her because yeah. there's been so many lies. Yeah, I saw a funny tweet today where somebody had tweeted something like, 10 things we definitely absolutely know about Brexit. And it was like, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9. And there was nothing there. <laughs> and 10 was basically like, we're fucked. <laughs> That's um, brilliant. That's but this, brilliant. Does, this does make an interesting point about corruption within, rooted deeply within the American system. And it, it's things like healthcare as well, yeah. which the film doesn't address, but is definitely something that you could... Um, kind of compare with this film is like why doesn't America have a proper healthcare system mm -hmm. it's because the pharmaceutical companies make so much money yeah. and it's like why is there war because people profit from war and 
Uh, why are they still using petrol? Why are they still using oil? Because right. it, it costs money. Yeah. Why don't they care about the environment? Even Al Gore has said yes, we had to completely change the way that we um, campaigned to these large companies. We we had to stop saying to them, you're killing the environment. We had to start saying to them, you can make more money yeah. by using renewable energy sources mm. and uh, sort of solar panels and, and, and things that are healthier to the environment because they don't care. Money mm. speaks. Are you a Kevin Costner fan? I haven't seen all that much. I mean, I've seen The Untouchables. Yeah. Um, I saw him in Superman or whatever it was, Man of Steel. Oh, yeah. I he, like was, he was, he was Park Kent. With that silly death scene where Clark could have just actually gone and saved him. Actually could have saved yeah. his dad. Um, I can't think of anything. Else. I've never seen Waterworld. Costner didn't want to do this film. He he turned it down. What? It's like a defining um, role for him. I know. It's, it's hilarious how... Because he's perfect for it. He's the all-American boy. He is. Yeah. And you kind of want to believe him because he just seems so nice. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, but, you know, before this, he had done Field of Dreams. He'd done Bull Durham, Untouchables, as you said. That's it. Is Field of Dreams the one with Gina Davis and Madonna? The, the uh, baseball film? No, 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 no. That's... Oh, that's Tom Hanks. That's Tom Hanks. Shit, that's Tom Hanks. That's uh, that's a different field of dreams. <laughs> oh, right. <laughs> it's not actually called Field of Dreams. What's that called? League uh, of Their Own. <laughs> League of Their Own. Oh, yeah, that's yeah. it. But he played... Yeah, he always played nice guys. He always played kind of, you know, um, upstanding citizens and guys you could believe in. And that's why he is perfect for this. But it's a fantastic twist that he's essentially kind of anti-establishment in this film he's kind of he's looking for ways to debunk and and uh, defraud the system his character arc is essentially take the all-american boy who has served military time who has been in the cia or the fbi i forget which one and now he's the da in new orleans watch what happens when he realizes that mum and dad are not squeaky clean as they said they were mm. he loves america he just doesn't like the corruption that is ruining his country. Yeah. So it's quite tragic to watch as he can see his country, the one that he loves, slipping away. And there's almost nothing he can do to stop it slipping away. You know, he, he, he was the only DA, the only law enforcement person who actually made an effort to take people to trial for what he saw as a murder, a public slaying. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it was a murder. Oh, absolutely. Just because they, they dress it up with that fancy word assassination doesn't yeah. make it any less of a murder. <laughs> it absolutely was a murder. And actually, that's what I was going to ask you about, was they used the real footage. Yeah, they did. They used repeatedly. the Sapruta. Well, that's they very, it's the only footage of the murder. I've never Sapru- seen it. You've never seen it? I've seen, You've never seen the Sapruta footage? I've, yeah, no, okay, so I've seen pieces of it because uh, there's a film called Parkland that came out a few years ago, which isn't particularly good. Um, but they use bits of that that um, footage. But I've never seen that awful moment where his entire skull basically explodes. That's frame 313, if I remember. It's awful. And when... they show it a lot and they crash zoom into it and they really kind of hammer home, you know, this is what happened to the president of America. And I'm okay with them using the footage in this film. I... I'll come on to something else in a second. But in the day or two after... The assassination, the murder. Yeah. Um, Zapruda, who's just this this random guy who had his eight millimeter camera and was filming it. Thank God he did, because otherwise, I know we wouldn't have the time frame that everything happened. So it was just a guy called Zapruda, 
and he was just literally filming with his 8mm camera. And the film lasts like 18 seconds. And it goes from the car just pulling into Didi Plaza and then the assassination happens. In fact, the first bullet happens while the film is obstructed by a um, a signpost, hmm. a road sign. So when the car re-emerges from out of that that road sign, Kennedy's already holding his neck because he's mm, been shot yeah. through the back of the neck. The fatal shot is hit. That's in frame 313, which in the couple of days after, Life magazine had paid, I think... $150,000, which is a lot of money in 1963, yeah. for the rights to that film. Mm, yeah, I remember hearing about that. And obviously they didn't have websites in those times. They weren't going to put it on TV because they wanted the exclusive rights. So they printed each frame, excluding frame 313, huh. which is the frame where his head has exploded. Yeah. So that was shielded from the yeah. American public for quite a long time. For them to use it in this film, I support that. Hmm. I support that because without it, the conspiracy theory and the emotion is not complete. I agree. They're not... I, I don't... Look, the studio obviously making a piece of entertainment. Oliver Stone is making a political manifesto. He cares a lot about his country and he wants people to know the truth. And his way of getting his opinions out and the truth out is to make a slice of entertainment that also has a massive foot in the political landscape. Mm. Michael Moore makes entertainment, but he also makes films with a very strong political view. There was a film called Jackie with Natalie Portman, and it was all about Jackie's experience after Kennedy was shot. And there is a scene it, it keeps flashing back the film because it starts off a couple of years after um she's been interviewed by who's playing him is it guy pierce no it's billy crudup billy crudup that's it um about her experiences um like arranging the funeral how she moved on with her life but it keeps flashing back to that day and yeah. they recreated mm. the whole thing she's in that that pink dress with the pill top hat or whatever it's called and there's this one shot i think on like the third or fourth time throughout the film that they flashed back to that day and the camera's hovering over the camera oh, no sorry the camera's like following the car as it speeds off under that bridge and as it sort of reaches that bridge the camera comes up over the back of the limousine and you see jackie holding kennedy who's collapsed in her lap and his brains are everywhere mm. That, to me, was atrocious. Hmm. There's no reason for that apart from sensationalism. Mm -hmm. We didn't need to see a recreation of Kennedy's head exploded because there are people, his kids are still alive, his family is still alive. They don't need to see that in an entertainment context. But I think putting it into, using the real footage and the real... Um, autopsy photographs as they did mm. it makes perfect sense to me to have it in a film that is campaigning for the truth behind his murder yeah i agree with that but i i don't really i don't mind that they recreated the the scene in jackie in the back of the car either because i think 
that film was still looking for some kind of emotional truth and it was looking for an honesty about her experience and that is a huge part of the experience so i don't really mind them recreating it for that specific reason either but do you think it's in poor taste to use someone's murder like that and so graphically his brains mm. all over her leg just for that pure entertainment that film is not saying we want the american public and the, and, and the world conscious to reopen a discussion about why this guy was killed because the film's not about him it's about her yeah no so I agree. it's not relevant in in that context it was there just to go we can do this now we've you know we can recreate this with cgi mm. just I because know. they can do it doesn't mean they should do it no that's true but i i still think that that was a part of her experience and you know that's that's a very real horrible horrific moment and the film isn't inviting any kind of exterior political um questioning or, or anything like that but it did um it did show want to show us jackie i wanted to tell jackie's story um in an honest kind of way but we we'd seen all the way through the film up until that point mm. her covered in blood on the you know the iconic pink dress with all the blood mm. we didn't need to see kennedy's head exploded mm. but it makes sense in this film where he goes back and to the left back and to the left oh, God. back and to the left because the bullet yeah. was coming from if you are kennedy to the right and you know diagonal to the right that's why the bullet hit his head exploded at the back and mm. his body fell back and to the left mm -hmm. and it really hammers home the the horrificness yeah. and the military precision of that operation how to kill a how to kill a president in a moving vehicle yeah it's again i said this in the heat episode it's a it's the perfect match of of form and content the editing is so precise and so relentless that it matches the preciseness of the operation to kill the president and the the like the relentlessness that has existed since he was shot mm. it's perfectly matched mm. and he must have been on a lot of coke to do that editing <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> it's haunting i actually woke up the night uh, during the night after watching the film are you just going ah, back into the left back yeah into the slightly left. I, I kind of woke up and you know something like you just wake up in the middle of the night and you just kind of like oh, i'm just a little bit awake at the moment all right i suppose i'll roll over but then i kind of as i rolled over i was like oh and i just kind of got a flash of <laughs> got a flash of jfk on the slab and it just kind of it really stays with you did your boyfriend wake up <laughs> i was like oh my god it's jfk oh. <laughs> He shows us the magic bullet mm. theory twice. Yeah. Within like two minutes. And each time it's gripping. Mm. I don't know how I've watched that scene twice now. When he's in the courtroom. Yeah, just to try and work out how he did it because he goes he goes, Magic bullet this and he shows on the board. Then he brings two of he brings Dennis Nedry and yeah. um, this Michael cast is amazing. <laughs> Yeah, this cast is brilliant. He's got Dennis Nedry, and then he's got Michael Rooker, yeah. um, Svenning's dad from Morat. Yeah, and he's and, again uh, thingy from Guardians of the Galaxy. I'm, I'm, he brings Mary Poppins Yo into the courtroom, <laughs> and he's showing with the stick, and he's just shown it to us on the board. And I just wonder how has he managed to take the same piece of information and show it to us twice in like two or three minutes and still have it as gripping? Mm. That's masterful editing. That yeah. is brilliant filmmaking. Yeah. It's great. Can we talk about... The cast? Two of the cast... Well, okay, so Laurie Metcalf is 
amazing. Unrecognisable. I she didn't is... realise it was her until halfway through. I'm surprised you did because you're useless at that anyway. <laughs> <laughs> Good point. Wait a minute, it's Ladybird's mum. <laughs> but yeah, but she's not neurotic in this. Yeah. Because usually she plays on the edge brilliantly. Like she plays two. like Roseanne's sister, yeah. Ladybird's mum. Yeah. She is brilliant. She's she was a lady in, on the edge. She was in Frasier at one point yes. as a lunatic. And in Desperate Housewives, she was a lunatic in that she as well. Was, yeah, so she plays lunatic really well. And here, she's so straight-laced with a slight kind of like eye roll, like, oh, I've got to do this again. But she is yeah. phenomenal. She's got and an again, edge. She is the voice for the... Audience, because yeah. she's not a lawyer. She's a lawyer's assistant. So sometimes she needs things explained to her. Perfect role. Perfectly played. Yeah. Love that woman. And she is in scenes, reacting to things in the background. She's doing things. She's kind of, the, she doesn't have a ton of dialogue, mm-hmm. but she's still existing, inhabiting that character within that environment. And yeah. You just get drawn to her, partly because she is the only woman in a, in the room, mm. but partly because she is just, you know, she's she is that character. She's, she's not great. the only woman in the film, though, because no. elsewhere, Jim Garrison's wife... Sissy Spacek. Who? Spacek. Is it Spacek? <laughs> Isn't it Sissy Spacek? Is it Spacek? <laughs> I've always, I've always pronounced it Spacek. <laughs> <laughs> I hope it is that. So it's Sissy Spacek. <laughs> Sissy's in this film, but she plays against her type because she's, she, you know, she's Carrie. She's the the slow daughter from the Straight Story. Mm-hmm. She's always playing oddball characters and suddenly she has to play the all-american mom she's got the perfect hair she's jackie if jackie was just a housewife that's so true i didn't even think that yeah she is she is his jackie yeah she is just the all-american mom trying to hold it together because he's so obsessed with finding the truth he's completely neglected the, you know, the kids and the family, they're in, mm. they're in the, the, the restaurant. When's daddy coming? Yeah. He'll be here soon. It's like Heat Again, where the female characters are kind of in service to the, the male characters who, have, who they have agency. Yeah, the but that was the don't. time. It's the 60s, well, exactly. right? There were but, no female policemen in this, in this film. There was no, no female. No one in authority was female. Even when yeah. Kennedy's body was taken away and you had all the military people in that autopsy, they were all men. Yeah, but my, my point is, like, as we said with Heat, is that the, the women don't have agency that's, that's reflected in the Times. But at the same time, they're not played as, or Sissy Spacex character particularly, is not played as like a whining wife. She isn't completely entitled to feel this way. Oh, absolutely. About her husband who's never around, who's yeah. obsessed like she, he's she's losing the man that she married and is in love with because he's uh, disappearing down a rabbit hole. Um, yeah, I just thought she was great. She's so fantastic. I like to see her in more. She doesn't. She's she, she's always been like part of the um, like the underground yeah art house mainstream. She's never really made it into proper proper mainstream. This is probably the most mainstream thing I've ever seen her in. That's true, actually, because she's like dolled up. Yeah, just like really glamorous and she's like classy. Chic. But she's got a film coming out with Robert Redford. Oh. Um, I think it's called like The Old Man with the Gun or something. Well, that's Robert Redford holding the gun then. Yeah, I know. And, but it looks great. So she's still around. Joe Pesci. Joe Pesci in this film. What the fuck is going on with his eyebrows and his hair? When he first turned up, I was like, is that meant to be a weirdo? <laughs> but they run out of money. <laughs> <laughs> 
You never get a bad performance out of him. He has never been this vulnerable. He yes. was amazing. This is the year after he had done uh, Home Goodfellas Alone. and Home Alone, <laughs> yeah. where he plays egomaniacal, crazy people, basically. Yeah. Kind of really like a mini alpha male, basically, in both of those films. Mm-hmm. But in JFK, he's so vulnerable. And when he ends up dead, you're just... It's really upsetting. The scene where in the hotel room where he's paranoid, yeah. he's scared. His wig keeps his, slipping his forward His wig is back. all over the place. Yeah. He is... Always, it's a shame that he quit acting. He's coming back because he's doing that Scorsese TV show. But it's a shame he quit acting for so long because just think of all the roles that we could have seen him in. Yeah. Think of all those lost performances. He's wonderful. Jack Lemmon. Jack Lemmon and Walter Matthau in a film together again. They weren't together in the film, but they were in the the film. They were in the credits together. They were in the credits together. Yeah. That scene with Walter Matthau on the plane is great. Where he's talking yeah, about... and he plays against type as well because yeah. you think Walter Matthau is like the lovable old old guy, and he's like yeah. says something on like tits or something. <laughs> you obviously haven't seen Grumpy Old Men. <laughs> <laughs> he was the um, he was Mr. Wilson in the Dennis the Menace yes. movie. I love that film. Yeah, I know it's not got critical acclaim, <laughs> but <laughs> uh, Wayne Knight, Dennis Nedry, always yeah. great. Tommy Lee Jones, God. He is so good in this. So good. Almost despite the wig. Yeah. The wig is like a poodle sitting on his head. (laughs) And he looks, I mean, it's based on the real guy, obviously. That's how he looked. But I just wonder, Joe Pesci and Tommy Lee Jones, are they just ever so slightly too camp at times that it's threatening to undermine the, the real life seriousness of the film? I don't know. I didn't really... I completely bought their characters. I could see how they were kind of slightly heightened in that world. Um, but I think they needed to be because they had to be memorable. And they had to, you, you know, they, you had to understand the significance of these men in the story. Yeah. So I think they kind of worked. And they're limited in a certain sense because they're based on real people. And if yeah. you deviate too far from the truth, then it, it would just undermine Oliver Stone's point of making this film. Yeah. One person who didn't give a comedic performance, who you would think had been hired to give the comedic performance, was John Candy. Oh, God. Yeah, I forgot he was in it. Daddy-o. Daddy-o. Hey, Daddy-o. He got the wrong ho-ho. Yeah, he was, like, terrifying. Yeah. Because he was so greasy and just lying through his teeth the whole way through. But that fucking jive talking. Yeah, I know. What was that? It's real. That's the real guy. That's like that. the real guy. I watched footage of him last night. Same fat, sweaty guy uh-huh. with those uh, those Ray-Ban shades. Yeah. Talking like that, a white guy talking like that. You got the wrong ho-ho down the sing-sing. <laughs> yeah. And that line, that when he said, you got the wrong ho-ho, uh-huh. didn't say it in court. He said it in an interview, so they lifted it for... Uh. Um, or maybe he did say it in court, but I saw him say that in the, an interview. Jeez. So, But for John Candy to yeah. do something like that, but this after entire he, film is... After he'd done Uncle Buck. Yeah. After he'd done Planes, Trains, Automobiles. Yeah. He was, you know, the big fat comedy guy. It would yeah. be like if they suddenly brought um, Jack Black on to do a super serious role or Zach Galifianakis. Uh-huh. Is that Which they name? both have. Those, those two guys have done very good serious roles. Not in that way, though. Not because that's a comedic... That is, in someone else's hands, that is a comedic character. Yeah, true. And yet... He's chilling yeah. because he's blocking the truth yeah. for Jim Garrison. Mr. Garrison. Mr. Garrison, um, you got the wrong ho-ho. The, film, the, the thing this film does 
amazingly across the board is that it, it casts everyone against type. And like the biggest one, that this, this film essentially made Kevin Bacon's career because Kevin Bacon came in and did that role as the, like he was a prison inmate. Yeah. But he knew the other guys. Oh yeah, yeah, the homosexual guy, yeah. Yeah. But he was like, he was a teen star. He did Footloose in 84. Yeah, this he, was his jump to the, the, the adult <clears throat> films. This well, was the, the adult film films, but... <laughs> yeah, the grown-up. He got to see yeah. the grown-ups table yeah. for the first time. This was only 11 years after Friday the 13th. Uh, yeah, it is. Yeah, because he did like Tremors. He did Flatliners the, like the year before he did mm-hmm. this film. And then suddenly he's playing this like full-on character in an Oliver Stone film. And then he goes on to do Apollo 13 a few it. years after this. A Few Good Men, he did. A Few Good Men. He's yeah. brilliant in A Few Good Men. Yeah. That was actually before Apollo He's 13, great. wasn't it? Yeah, it was. A Few yeah. Good Men is, you can't handle the truth. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Donald Sunderland gives so much gravitas yes. in this film. Yeah. It was wonderful. I love that voice because mm. he's got that dry, sardonic, kind of mid-70s satire voice. He's almost like the serious side of Elliot Gould. Yeah, he Ross is. Ross Geller's dad. <laughs> but his scenes, his cameo is phenomenal. And all the flashbacks that come with it hmm. don't jar because they use... And I, I, this is, this is um, testament to the cinematographer and the editor. They use a lot of archive footage, but they intercut it with footage they've cut themselves and it's seamless. I didn't think... Anything felt like a 999 Lifesavers reconstruction <laughs> on Crime Watch or whatever. Yeah. It, it genuinely felt like a completely immersive experience. Yeah. There's one critic who said that, it doesn't say, I don't know who said this, but they called it a work of fantastical fiction that's um, an interesting, if overblown, vision of a parallel universe. It's quite an interesting way to, to refer to the film. It sounds like, like they're trying to undermine it yeah, as well. Yeah, it does, doesn't it? It's kind of... Yeah, but at the same time, it's almost celebrating it for its strength in some ways. In a weird way, like it's fantastical, it's, but yeah, yeah, it's 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 basically saying it's a really well made film, but it's not true. If you believe it, if wah, you wah, believe wah. it, you got the wrong ho ho. <laughs> One person who has such a huge presence over the film, but actually doesn't appear a lot, is Gary Oldman oh, as yeah. Lee Harvey Oswald. Mm. You, know, I, you almost forget that he was in it. Yeah. Yeah, because it took me a while to figure out that was actually him. Yeah. Because he's obviously the chameleon, isn't he? He's like Daniel Day-Lewis. He just disappears into the characters. Yeah. Um, yeah, he's really good in it. Because I felt, he, he I felt takes... a bit bad for him when there was that woman saying that he wasn't very attractive. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. oh, poor Gary. But he takes what is essentially an... Un... He's very unknown. There's not a lot known about him, which to me boosts the the idea of the conspiracy that and, and the idea that he was a patsy, mm. that he was just put in place told to be in the right place at the right time just so he could be arrested and blamed for the murder. Yeah. There's not a lot known, you know, there's not a lot of truth known about him. And for Gary Oldman to step in and essentially work with a blank piece of paper and still make that character feel well-rounded is genius. Mm. He's always, you know, Gary Oldman can be in the shittest movies like The Hitman's Bodyguard. And he's always the best thing in it. Yeah. Even in films like Air Force One, which is just a piece of... I mean, I love Air Force One. But it's a, it's a late night, let's watch it before we go to bed movie. Not 
let's really concentrate on what this American president's doing kind of movie. <laughs> he just gives 2D characters so much depth. Yeah, he does. And that's what he does here. That's why he's an actor. He's, he's got that magic touch. But some actors don't. Some actors can't do that. Like I said, you give Gary Oldman a blank piece of paper and he'll turn it to Oscar Gold. <laughs> you can't argue with a tiger when you're in its mouth. <laughs> Is that your favourite quote of the year? It's the only one I know because I never saw the film. <laughs> so that was JFK directed by Oliver Stone. What did you think about JFK? Uh, we're on Twitter. We're at TornStubsPod. Give us a shout. We're also on the podcast app. So if you fancy giving us a five-star rating, that would be lovely. And if you like culture, film, music, television, head to movetotrash.co.uk. We're off to find the right hole-hole down the hole-hole-hole. <laughs> what does ne- that even mean? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Until next time, I remain Robert Gershenson. I'm Joshua Winning. Cut.